Good. Um, so we're going to be continuing our series this morning on miracle making God known. Uh, one of the things I've enjoyed about the series is being reminded that as big and as amazing and as awesome as God is, how much of a miracle is it that this big, awesome, amazing God simply wants to be known by you? And we've been looking at different ways that God makes himself known. We spent weeks looking at creation, compassion. This morning we'll begin talking about justice. And a few weeks we'll talk about provision. Um, the, the genesis of this series is this idea that there's not just a disconnect, but we who grew up in the church sometimes grew up with the God of the Old Testament almost in competition or in opposition. You know, so I've been talking about a disconnect and people have been like, yeah, I get that or I grew up with that. But I think the tension comes not in saying they're two different people. We believe God the Father is very distinct from God the Son, is very distinct from God the Holy Spirit. The tension and the disconnect comes when we put them in opposition to each other. And scripture and Christian tradition teaches us not to do that because Jesus is the perfect manifestation of the Father. He's the ultimate revelation. Um, so when we look at the God of the Old Testament, we have to understand that we may not understand him completely, but if we desire to understand him completely, we have to start with Jesus Christ. John, who was Jesus' best friend, looked at Jesus and said, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus himself talked about to his disciples, and he says, you know what? I have come, and if you've seen me and you've known me, you've seen and known my Father. The writer of Hebrews said, you know, God in the beginning gave his word and his light to the prophets, but you know what? His son, Jesus Christ, is the exact representation of who God is. Paul, who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, said, it pleased the Father to have his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. So again, we're not talking about are they different people, but what we have to realize is they're not fighting each other. They're not in competition with each other. To see Jesus is to see the Father, and to understand the Father, we need to understand Jesus Christ. But this morning, we're going to talk about justice. Justice, not as we understand it, but justice that comes from God. If you have your Bible, again, we'll be reading Amos 5. Verses 18 to 27, we'll also have it up front for you to follow along. Amos 5, beginning at verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? No. You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning that you are indeed the God of justice. You're the one who has the authority. You're the one who has the power. You're the one who casts and makes the ultimate judgment. But God, we thank you this morning that you're not only the God of justice, but you call us to make and do and work for your justice. God of justice, help us to be people that brings your justice and righteousness into our world. In your holy and precious name, amen. 
One of the things that's fascinating about God is that him being just reveals who God is. And understanding God's justice, we have to start from this point of God has the ultimate authority. When we say God is the God of justice, we have to first begin with the idea that He's the one who has the ultimate authority now and in the future. And it's not us. We do not get to decide what is just. We do not have power to decide what is justice. It's God and God alone who has that ultimate authority. So once you understand that God is the one who sits on the throne and has the ultimate authority, then you can do some internal work. Then the internal work says justice is God making things right in God's eyes, not our own. Because if we step off our pedestals and we jump off our soapboxes, maybe then we can bow to the throne of the one who has the power, the one who is the God of justice. So it's not about what you say is right. And this is hard for some of us, but it's about what God says is right. It's God, it's God alone who's the God of justice. When it comes to saying justice, it's about what God says is right. It's about what the Spirit says is right. It's about what the church says is right. And this is hard for some of us because we're good Americans and we like our individual liberties, or at least they tell us we're supposed to like it or that we have it. But we like to be individual in our culture. But God's justice doesn't just come from what I think is right and what I think is just. God's justice comes from my willingness to say, this is what God says and I will submit to it. This is what the Spirit reveals, and I will submit to it. And here's the hard one for us. This is what the body says, and I will submit to it. God's justice does not rest on you individually. God's justice rests on all of us because he's on the throne, and his justice is not about what I say is right, what you say is right, what you feel is right. None of that really matters, but what God says is right, what God reveals is right. And what God makes right in his own eyes. You know, the third way for understanding justice, the first two kind of knock you off your pedestal, right? You don't have the power, God does. You don't say what's right, God does. But you know what you can do? You can hold on to this. That ever since the beginning, God has been working to bring justice into our world. Justice is simply God working to bring back shalom into the world. Wednesday night, we're going through a very good book by Dr. Lisa Sharon Harper. In the book, The Very Good Gospel, she talks about time and time again. In the very beginning, we had shalom. What was shalom? It was peace with God. It was peace with creation. It was peace with each other. It was peace with self. What a blessing that would be. It was peace and completeness. It was harmony. It was welfare. It was peace with God and creation and yourself and everyone. But then sin entered into the world. And when sin entered the world, it brought brokenness, it brought darkness, it brought separation, it brought us experiencing pain and evil. But ever since that point, God has been working to bring shalom back into the world. And that shalom that he's been working to bring back into the world is his justice. Justice, some have defined it as fairness, as equality, as equity. Some have said it's making things right or, or making things good. Justice is foundational to who God is. It's foundational to how his people see him. Whether you pick up your Bible in Genesis or to Revelation, they count on God being the judge. They count on God being in control. They count on God being the one who says what's good and does what's good. But we also have to understand that justice is not karma, right? Justice is not, you know, I'm going to do what's right in this life and, and hope for it in the life to come. 
But justice is also not what the, what the Chinese call chi. It's not this like spiritual life force that, that maybe it'll work out, right? Some people love to quote Dr. King. He said the, the moral arc of the universe will, will bend towards justice. And they like stuff like that because if I just say that quote, I don't have to do the work. I don't have to do the work. So it's not this invisible life force either. Justice is God making things right. God making things right. God choosing you to work with him to make things right. See, the challenge with God's justice isn't that God is just. He's always just. He's always just. He's always just. That's not the challenge. You saying God is just or God's the God of justice is not that great to him. The challenge is not that God is just, but that God expects you to be just as he is just. The challenge isn't saying, look, my God is a God of justice. The challenge is saying, my God expects me to work for his justice. The challenge is God expects his people to be just because he is just. Because here's the thing, there's undoubtedly God's a God of justice. Remember why he took him out of Egypt. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of the, up and out of the land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We do not have to worry, does God see suffering? We do not have to worry, does God see the pain? God sees it, and God is doing his work to redeem it and to bring people out of the pain, out of the suffering. The challenge isn't, does God see my suffering? The challenge is, do you see your sister's suffering, and what are you doing to alleviate it? The challenge isn't, does God see my pain? The challenge is, yes, God sees it, and he's working to redeem it, but what are you doing to work to redeem that pain, to work to redeem that brokenness, to work to bring that light from into that darkness that you see? The challenge isn't that God is a God of justice, is are you willing to bring justice like your God brings justice? And then the law that God gives, a lot of times we look at the law, and we see this Old Testament law as a yoke that he puts on the people, but what you have to understand about the law is God wasn't just giving them a bunch of laws and other things to do. God cared about who they were becoming. And who they were becoming was to be like him. Look at this law. In Deuteronomy, God says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Justice is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. When you are harvesting in your field, you overlook a sheaf. Do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave that what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. God's law is that in your regular everyday scenes... You should be working not for your bank account, not for me and mine, not for your future, 
But your regular work should be uplifting the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the broken, the least of these. This was regular activity. This wasn't money they were supposed to set apart. It was when you wake up on a Monday morning and you go to pick your grapes, leave some for those left behind. When you woke up on Thursday morning and you go to collect your olives, leave some for those left behind. Everything that you do should be done in mind with those society leaves behind. Your God, when he calls you to justice, reminds you that there are people that the society leaves behind, but there's no one that I leave behind. And the proof of it is I have you, and you should be working normally, regularly. It should be part of your life that you're working to set the prisoners free to provide for the poor, to provide for the broken, to help the widows know that they have a place at the table, to help the fathers know that Jesus is king, but their father God is waking and working to bring them back home. It should be what you regularly do. God's justice is not a suggestion. It's a commandment, and he expects you to do it. Because if you do not do it, This God who's big and amazing and awesome grows angry at you. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet says, Woe to those shepherds of Israel who fail to meet God's standard of justice. They cared for themselves and not their flock. They failed to meet the needs of the flock. They failed to strengthen the weak to heal the sick, to bring the lost children back home. They ruled harshly, and they used their power and their privilege to separate the flock. And the judgment is that the God of justice is going to bring judgment upon those leaders, for he will now serve as shepherd. Here's the funny thing about Ezekiel. He's writing to the leaders of Israel. Here's the funny thing about your reality this morning. When Jesus Christ came, into this world to say, I am the full revelation of God. I will show you how to live and love and please God. I will die for your sins and for the sins of the world. I am resurrected to show you that the same power that rose me from the grave is the same power that's in you. I will go to heaven and prepare a place for you, but I will leave you behind. Ezekiel talked to the shepherds and the leaders of Israel. This morning in the spirit of Ezekiel, Jesus Christ is talking to you. Woe to you! If you fail to meet God's standard of justice, woe to you if you care more about me and mine than the people God sent to you. Woe to you when you are building up your bank account and you're saving for your family, but you fail to meet the needs of the weak. You fail to meet the needs of the sick. You fail to meet the needs of the lost. Woe to you if you use your power and your privilege and your education and your position to separate people from the love of God. Woe to you. Woe to you as a Christian if you take on the name of Jesus Christ and you do not look like him. Woe to you. You want to make the God of this universe angry, fail to bring his justice into the world. And you remember Micah, that famous passage where God is finally just fed up with the people. He puts them on trial. He says, all of my people, I want you to listen. You've been here for a little bit, but the trees and the mountains and the hills, they've been here since the beginning. They've seen everything, everything I've done for you. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who took you through the wilderness. I'm the one who brought you to the promised land. I'm the one who's given you everything. 
and you're the one who's failed me time and time again. You're the one who's refused to live for me, to glorify me. Remember that famous verse that Micah gives us. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Again, it's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's a requirement and a commandment. What does the Lord require of you? But to do God's justice, to love as God loves, and to walk and live in shalom with your sister, with your brother, with yourself, with all of creation. And remember, God's justice is what we're supposed to be doing. Amos the prophet is a very, very interesting character. In fact, his name means load or burden. I don't know why you would do that to your child, but that's what his parents did to him. It's so bad that some scholars think this couldn't have possibly been his name. I don't think his name was load or burden because no mom has a baby boy and looks at him like, what a burden you shall be. So they think it's just a title. They think it's a title because no one would do this to their child. But what we know about Amos is that he was a shepherd. The kind of shepherd we're not sure. We're not sure if he actually physically took care of the sheep or he just was a a very smart businessman who had a bunch of flocks that he watched over. The other thing that we had as Amos is that he was also a farmer. And some will tell you he's a farmer of of figs and some will tell you he's a farmer of sycamore trees. We don't know. We just know that he was a shepherd and a farmer and that's what he did. Why is that important? It's important because Amos didn't go to seminary. Amos wasn't born into the right family. Amos wasn't groomed from when he was a child to be a prophet. Amos was simply called by God. And there's a lot of people who are called by God. But all these prophets, they kind of stood on, I was born into the right family. I went to the right schools. I know the right people. Amos is the first in the line of the prophets who says, no, 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 no. I'm a businessman, but I'm called by God. And what a beautiful reminder to us that it doesn't matter if you're a businesswoman. doesn't matter if you're a teacher. doesn't matter if you're a nurse. doesn't matter if you're a doctor. doesn't matter if you're a counselor. You are called by God. And Amos forever changed the Old Testament prophets because after Amos, everyone else begins their story with what? Their call. They stop giving you their resume and start telling you about what God did in their lives. How beautiful would that be if that was our pledge? Instead of giving people our resume and putting our best foot forward, we simply would tell them, this is what God's done for me, and this is why I'm here. But the other thing about Amos that's interesting is he writes to a very privileged world. You know, at some point we're going to do a deep dive into Amos because he's technically writing about the northern kingdom. But the more I read Amos, he's writing about us because he recognizes he's a southerner from the smaller southern kingdom and he goes into the northern kingdom for business. And over the years, he recognizes that the people are very privileged, that the people have peace and prosperity and wealth and the people on the outside look great. But on the inside, their hearts have rotted. On the inside, they've made it about me and mine and doing better than my parents instead of the one society leaves behind. And the inside, it made it about the privilege and the power and the positions I have instead of the people who are being oppressed and don't have access to those same privileges that I take for granted. You think the thing about Amos writing to a privileged world is when you have a privileged world, that privileged world also has an oppressed world. You cannot be powerful without someone feeling the wrath of that power. You cannot have great privilege and power and wealth 
without people being poor. And Amos is writing to these people to say, my God is a God of justice. To the privileged, my God is a God of justice. But to the oppressed, to the marginalized, to the fatherless, to the orphan, to the widow, to the one society leaves behind, my God is a God of justice. And Amos the prophet has this message, and it comes fourfold. The first message is incredible. It's incredible. He begins his, 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 his entire um, writing with this simple idea that our God is the sovereign God of all the nations. Amos is one of those people who's radical, right? I think he'd be a great Anabaptist because Amos wouldn't, you, you, you walk up to Amos and you say, God bless America. He's like, yes. And God bless Canada. And God bless Mexico. And God bless Libya. And God bless Iraq. And God bless Iran. And God bless Australia. And God bless Brazil. And God bless Paraguay. Amos would be one of those people when you say God bless America, he said, no, 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 America bless God is good too. But realize that God is still the God of the universe. He's the God of all the nations. So Amos begins not with God's people, but he begins with prophecies for Damascus and the Philistines and Tyre and Edom and Ammon and Moab. And he reminds all of them that my God is the God of the universe. My God sees what you do and your day of judgment is coming. God is the God of the world. God is the God of the world. God is not just focused on America. He's got a whole world to worry about. And Amos reminds them that the sovereign God of this universe that you think is personally yours controls it all, sees it all, and will judge it all. The second thing about Amos that he puts in this message is that God is God alone. And I love Amos 5 because he reminds the people that what you've done is you've built shrines for your kings. Or maybe it'll be better if you call it your presidents or your politicians or your famous rich people. You've made a pedestal of your idols. Maybe you'll call it your education or your resume or your family or whatever you value. You've made stars of your gods. Maybe you'll call that yourself or your bank account or the people that you know, the people that know you. Amos wants us to know that God is God alone. And when we make anything else God, we fall short. We not only fail to bring God's justice, but we fail to recognize who God is. God is God alone. The third thing that Amos wants people to know is that God's justice is coming. This week in preparation, I was reading, and one, one scholar said it like this. If you want to understand God's justice, you have to understand that right now we're all blessed. We're all privileged. We're all, uh, uh, this is amazing truth. Right now, Jesus is our defense counselor. He's our defense lawyer. Anything that we say or do, he's working to, to set us free. He's working so that we can be forgiven. He's working on our behalf. But do know that that defense counselor who knows you best do know that that defense counselor who you taught everything to, that you might not even see in the court of life or say in the court of life, do know that that defense counselor is the same one who one day will sit on the throne and judge you. Now, I'm not saying that to scare you, but if it scares you, that's okay. I'm saying that to remind you that the one who knows you the best is the same God of justice who will hold you accountable. 
Accountability isn't just with our friends or, or our accountability partners. Know that the one who knows you best will one day hold you accountable for every thought you've ever thought, for every word you've ever said, for everything you've ever done or every good you haven't done. God, who's the one who's on your behalf right now, is the one who will hold you accountable for the day of the Lord is coming. And I love Amos. I think Amos was, was just, I think Amos was made for Twitter. I think Amos in this generation would be unbelievable, right? Amos is one of those people who like, I just can't wait for the day of the Lord when Jesus comes and judges. And Amos is like, are you sure? Because you think that's going to be a great day. It's going to be kind of dark, you know? And people will be like, I can't wait for the, great, the day of the Lord. It'll be great. Amos is like, I was thinking about the day of the Lord. It's almost as if a lion was chasing you and you got away but ran into the arms of a bear, right? He's like, I can't wait for the day of the Lord. The end day is going to be great. Amos is like, yeah, it's going to be like escaping. And you're running. You get home and you think you're safe. And you put your hand on the wall and then a snake bites you. Amos wants you to know that when we say we cannot wait for the day of the Lord, we have to also know that on that day of the Lord is the day of our accountability. It's the day that Jesus, the judge, will sit and look at all of us and hold us accountable. But praise God that he is the God of justice. Praise God that he makes things right. Because yes, the day of the Lord is coming, but God the just is someone we can rely on and trust because it's his goodness that saves us and gets us through. So after Amos begins this, this entire treatise, after he begins his writing, saying God's the God of the world, God's the God of all the nations, God is the God who is the one who's just, God is the God alone, he finally turns it to God's people. And the thing about this is, like I said, Amos could be talking about the northern kingdom or he could be talking about us. Because one of his critiques is he looks at this culture that seems healthy on the outside and he sees the rise of the super rich on the backs of the poor. Maybe we can relate. Some would argue that this country was built on the backs of her slaves, the rise of the super rich globally, the incomes of the poorest 10% of people increased by less than $3 a year between 1988 and 2001, while the incomes of the richest 1% increased 182 times as much. In the U.S., if you don't like the global, you want to just focus on America. In the U.S., over the last 30 years, the growth in incomes of the bottom 50%, the bottom 50% has been zero, whereas the incomes of the top 1% have grown by 300%. You think Amos is writing to the northern kingdom, but maybe he's got a few words to say to us this morning. He's critiquing the rise of the super rich on the backs of the poor. And when he thinks about the poor and he sees these super rich, all he sees is oppression. Amos sees slavery. We might know something about that. Amos sees the, the possessions that the poor work for but can lose at any moment, have their one emergency away from poverty and homelessness. We know that too. But Amos also sees overtaxing and he sees a justice system that's not broken, but a justice system that's doing what it's always been designed to do, and that's to enslave and put in jail the poor, the weak, the marginalized, and oppressed. Amos was writing to the northern kingdom, but I think he might have a few words for us too. 
But Amos doesn't just stop with anger. Before he even gets to this passage about justice rolling down, he says, you have the opportunity right now to come back to God. He gives a call for redemption. He says, you know, right now you need to seek the Lord and live. Choose God's justice and God's righteousness and live. And the reason he asks us to teach and come back to God is because why the day of the Lord is coming. God's judgment is coming. And for a lot of us who grew up in church, when we think about judgment, we run to the cross and be like, well, Jesus died for all my sins. I'm good. I'm in there. But Amos wants you to be reminded he died for all your sins, but he'll hold you accountable for all you've done. And it may not just be your sins you have to worry about. It may be that you didn't know enough of God's justice in this world. Remember why Jesus came. I said this in the first service, and I was terrified because they failed it miserably. I said, remember why Jesus came? They said, to save the world. And I was like, yes, and? Remember why Jesus said he came? The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. He, God has anointed me. Why? To save the world? No. To preach good news to the poor. To give freedom to the prisoners. To give sight to the blind. To give oppressed, the, the oppressed freedom. And, and to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We do a great injustice to our God when we come up with a social gospel and a saving gospel. There is no such thing. Jesus came for both. Because if the hopeless don't need the gospel, who does? If the marginalized don't need the gospel, who does? If those who are blind don't need the gospel, who does? There is no social gospel. If anyone tells you this is a social gospel, tell them from Pastor Hank, that's from the pits of hell. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There is no social gospel. Jesus came for the weak, for the poor, for the widow, for the blind, and he expects you to do the same. Jesus didn't just come to save your soul. He came to save your life. Jesus didn't come to save your life. He came to save the life of everyone that you meet, everyone you're in contact with. It's not just about eternal life. It's about abundant life. And how can we have abundant life when our sisters and brothers are still in chains? How can we have abundant life when our culture is being defined by this state of depression that no one can seem to shake? How can we have abundant life when people are still running from God because they don't know if God loves them? How can we have abundant life if our gospel is talking about their souls and we don't care about their lives? How can we have abundant life when we keep living and getting privilege from culture at the expense of our sisters and brothers? How can we have abundant life and say we're God's people who are bringing God's justice when we're working to separate people from God or we're working to make their lives a lot harder so ours can be a little bit easier? God's judgment is coming, and it's not just your sins you have to worry about. It's whether or not you're bringing God's justice into this world. Because here's the thing that Amos says. God seems to care more about righteousness and justice than ritual. God seems to care more about whether or not you're working to set the prisoners free than whether or not you got perfect attendance this month in church. God seems to worry more about, are you really loving your sister and brother than whether or not you happen to squeeze in a couple Wednesday nights because you're a good Christian. 
God seems to care more about whether or not the world around you knows he's the God of love, knows that he's the God of justice, knows that this world they see that keeps stomping down upon them is not all there is. God seems to care more that you're working to pick up that sister, to pick up that brother, or to show them there's a better way. God seems to care more about that than whether or not you read your Bible four days in a row. It's not about ritual. It's about righteousness. If your faith is just about what you do for you, God wants to have a word. And that word is, I've grown angry that you're not bringing my justice into the world. Right living isn't just about you. It's about making things right in God's eyes. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Dr. King's probably his two most famous documents, the letter from a Birmingham jail and the I have a, a dream speech, they both quote Amos 5. They both ask for justice to roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream because there's two things that have allowed oppression in our country. And this is hard to say, but it's the reality. The two things that have allowed oppression in our country is the church not being the church. It's the church not being the church. And the other one is the church not bringing God's justice. Because if we were being the church, we would never enslave. If we were being the church, we would never keep people in chains. If we were being the church, we would not be concerned about, am I created in the image of God? We'd be more concerned that our sister is created in the image of God, and she needs to know that God's light is upon her. And if we were bringing God's justice into the world, we would not look down upon people like Dr. King and be like, take your social gospel away from me. I care about saving souls. You know, or this way you're doing it is just not right. If we're willing to be the church, if we're willing to identify as a Christian, a Christ one, you put Jesus in your name. You have a responsibility to bring Jesus to your world. Because here's the deep reality. We live in a world that's broken, and God seems to think that he's doing his work and doing his part, but it's up to you to fix that brokenness. We live in a world that's dark, and God seems to think that you can help bring light to that world. We live in a world that has no hope. And God seems to think that if you were to tell just of what he's done in your life, you can bring hope to your world. Justice for all is what we need to work for. And there's no separation. If someone is struggling in this room with depression, I go to them and I say, you know, God can set you free, but he wants to save your soul first. Something backwards about that, ain't it? If someone comes to our doors this afternoon and they're hungry, and I say, you know what, I got a food pantry over there, but we need to talk about Jesus and make sure you're into heaven first. There's something backwards about that too. Jesus came not just for your soul, but for your life. And we as Christians have to start caring and keep caring not just for the souls of folks, but for their lives. When Jesus says, I've come, that they may have more abundant life, that should be our call to arms. When our sisters and brothers are hungry, we need to feed them. When they don't have clothes, we need to clothe them. When they don't know that God loves them, we need to love them until they feel God's love for them. When they struggle with addictions, we need to not be quick to confine them to the hell that they're already in, but to maybe just hold their hand and pray for them and help set them free. 
God's justice is not an option. God's justice is not what the good Christians do. God's justice is what we're all called to do. And if you're not bringing God's justice into the world, the God of this universe, who's the judge of all things, is growing angry with you. Because that's what he expects you to do. Justice is what made God known. And there's four things I want you to take away today. The first one is that God is just and we can rely on him. A lot of people get stuck with, you know, I see so much suffering in the world. How can God be just? And I want to tell you that since Genesis 3, God's been working to alleviate that suffering. And that suffering that God's placed on your heart, it's him asking you to help him do that work of that suffering. God's doing his part. We can rely on him to do his part. Are you doing your part? When you look at your life, can you faithfully answer God, this is how I'm bringing justice into the world. God, this is how I'm helping my sister and brother so that they can know that they're loved by you. What am I doing to bring God's justice into the world? We can rely and trust that God is working. Why are we not doing the same? God's justice is God making things right, not me. Amos is very critical of people who create idols in their own image. I know you. I know myself. We like to think we're the smartest people we know, we're the brightest people we know, we're the funniest people we know, we're the everything we know. But you are not the arbiter of justice. You do not get to decide what God says is right. But if God reveals it to you, you're responsible to walk in that light. Jesus is Jesus alone. God is God alone. God is justice. Is God making it right in his eyes and not just me? And your prayer, if you want to take a prayer with you today, God is just, and he expects you to do the same and be like him. That's the work. That's the challenge. God's always going to be the God of justice. Are you willing to be his instrument of justice to your world? God is just and expects you to be like him. But I think the, fi the final thing, and maybe my favorite thing I've learned about God's justice, is that God's justice saves us but it also sets us free. There's so many people in our lives in this room who simply aren't free. They know God loves them. They know God loves them, but they're not free. They're ensnared by choices they've made. And it's not even choices they're making now. It's choices they made years ago. They know God forgive them, but they can't forgive themselves. Or they're, 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 they're shackled and imprisoned by the expectations of the world around them or even of themselves sometimes. There's so many of us who know the salvation of Jesus Christ, but we don't know the freedom that Christ brings. God's justice is setting you free. God's justice is setting you free. God has come to save you, not just from your sins, but to give you life more abundantly. Let his justice flow like a river. Let his righteousness flow like a never-ending stream. Because when it flows, that river gives life. Amen? I'd like to call up the worship team. We're going to finish our service this morning singing a song, God of Justice, which kind of reminds us that the work that God calls us to do is not just to acknowledge that he's the God of justice, but that we are to go as well.
Before we sing this song, I want to give us a minute to just think about, you know, is there anyone in your life that you know is just under some kind of yoke, some kind of prison, some kind of darkness? When you give us a minute, just pray for that person. But in that minute, too, you can recognize maybe that person is you. And it's okay to pray for yourself, too. And it's okay to say, God, I need you to set me free. God, I need you to save me from this and set me free. So before we sing, I just want to give us a minute to pray for each other or to pray for ourselves because God's justice saves us, but it also sets people free. Let's pray together. God of mercy, have mercy on us. God of love, teach us how to love you more and to love one another. God of justice, make us in your image. Empower us by your spirit. Help us to make your justice flow like a river, like that mighty, never-ending stream so that brings life to our world. Amen? Stand and sing together. Session, you guys want to come forward to pray? God of justice, God of justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and Jesus, Jesus, you have called us. Freely we've received now, freely we will give. We must go to feed the hungry, sit beside the broken. We must go steadily forward. From just seeing, move us into action. We must go to act justly every day, loving mercy in every way, walking humbly. have shown us what we require. Freely we've received now, freely we will give. We must go to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go stepping forward, keep us from just up, send us out, fill us up, send us out, fill us up.
Send us out to be light into darkness. Send us out, send us out to do your justice, to do what you say is right. Lord, help us to not just know the God of justice, but to help our world experience the God of justice through our mercy, through our grace, through our compassion, through the Jesus we know that we reveal to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. In your holy and precious name we pray, Lord. Amen. God bless you all.